Who talks first? I talk first? You talk first? You talk first. I talk first. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hello. Welcome to a special bonus episode of the Bomb Squad podcast. I am Tanner Richard Kraft. And I am Austin Zwiebelman signing on. Yep. And today we uh, decided, because uh, Austin and I both uh, saw a movie over the weekend uh, called Free Guy. And uh, him and I are both pretty jazzed about it. And we figured even though it's not on the schedule, we wanted to, to just be kind of scream and cry about the movie anyway. So uh, here we are, ready to scream and or cry about this movie anyway. And uh, I'm a... I'm a I'm a I'm an excited boy. I'm an excited boy. This is one of my favorite movies of the year, man. I can't contain myself with this. I mean, I get psyched whenever Ryan Reynolds movies come around. And when it's when it's something like this where it happens to hit the sweet spot, because you know, not all Ryan Reynolds movies are Deadpool. Some of them are National Lampoon's <laughs> Van Wilder. So, some of them don't go over quite this well with critics. You know, you, you you walk out of the movie theater, you get your dose of that Canadian magic, and then you check Rotten Tomatoes and you go, okay, this is Bark and Bin at Walmart conversation. I can't go around say, putting this in my top ten list at the end of the year. Whereas Free Guy, on the other <laughs> hand, might just be one of those depending on your tastes. Uh, most certainly was for me. It's uh, kind of everything I love in movie making. And it's not that I uh, dislike more challenging type of art, so to say. I don't dislike movies where I have to, uh, you know, uh, uh, um, I don't dislike movies where it's more complicated and challenging and, you know, a lot more negative. But I am, uh, my favorite type of movie is always going to be these more positive, upbeat ones. The ones that just sort of, like, sit in absolute defiance of any kind of cynicism whatsoever which this this movie is it's like a big it's a hug <laughs> tanner do you remember or did you ever see ex machina the the film about the robot yeah who's trying to pass the turing test i think it's oscar isaac made the robot he's supposed to be the fictional head of google and he invites some poor blonde schmuck and he's like here uh the I, i'm telling you this robot's human and if it can talk to you it's passing the turing test right Right. And the the ending of Ex Machina is such a slap in the dick. It's just like getting punched in the mouth. It's so sad. And um, then there's like the other movie where Scarlett Johansson becomes a flash drive. I think it's called Lucy. Yeah. <laughs> there, there's these movies about sort of like artificial intelligence where Johnny Depp becomes a computer or a robot is trying to be a human. And there's like a lot of these, but they're like the sort of brain food cinema where the trailer, the trailers are all pretentious and it's very trying to be high concept. And then you have 20th century studios and Disney presenting you a movie about an AI. (laughs) (laughs) This is, uh, this is the AI movie. I never knew I wanted, uh, God, it's so, it's so, I don't know about, I mean, were you expecting much from this movie? I expected it to be fun. And when the reviews came out, I was like, all right, this is going to be a good time. But I did not expect to expect to love this movie as much as I did. I mean, what did you, you have any expectations? I mean, let's, let's both get on the level. I also loved the movie. I, I barely, <laughs> I can't say that. But to to uh, express how much of a weird jolt that was, 
I'll I'll tell you exactly what compartment of my brain I put this movie in when I saw the trailers. I put it in the Detective Pikachu compartment. <laughs> and this is having now seen Detective Pikachu because I, I think most people had a similar thing before Detective Pikachu were coming out. People around my age, oh, this could be the best video game movie. But now I've seen Detective Pikachu. And while it's a great video game movie, it's not necessarily a very great movie. There's things about it where it's like, you're not rushing out to show people Detective Pikachu after about the first month Detective Pikachu comes out. It's just a fun Ryan Reynolds movie that certainly isn't bad, which is most of what you go to the theater for. But it's not special. Free Guy is special, but that's exactly where I put it um, in my head. Except for, uh, do you recall, there was an article that came out about this. I almost forgot to associate it with Free Guy. A while before we even got a first trailer, it was like, Ryan Reynolds, a star in movie as a non-playable character. Did you ever catch that article? I, I remember when they announced the movie, and I remember thinking, huh, interesting. Yeah, before I saw the trailer with the uh, Destiny's Child music and all of the, you know, uh, 20th Century Studio CG and, and the, the the Disney jokes, ultimately, once the merger was happening, I was like, oh my god, this could be some really crazy stuff. And uh, then I saw the trailer, put it right in that Detective Pikachu compartment, and uh, eventually I was I was thoroughly surprised in the best possible way. How about you, Tanner? What were you expecting out of Free Guy before Free Guy happened to you? I mean, ultimately, just like, I saw the trailer, and I thought, this looks fun. This looks fun. I, I think this could be interesting. I think it could be fun time in the theater, you know. I like Ryan Reynolds. This kind of feels like he's trying to do a PG-13 Deadpool-ish thing, which... You know, I saw Once Upon a Deadpool. That works kind oh, of. No. Oh, I, I saw Once Upon a Deadpool with Sid, and he walked out so mad at me. We both thought it was going to be a new Christmas-themed Deadpool movie, and we retreated to about 15 minutes of footage with, I think, Fred Savage of Growing Pain. Yeah. And then it was just Deadpool 2 again with a lot of jokes cut. Oh, my God. Nobody fall for that like we did. Yeah. <laughs> I remember when they announced... <laughs> Sorry, sorry. No. Uh, Once Upon a Deadpool is a uh, ridiculous concept because they were just like, ah, shit, we're about to get bought up by Disney. And the shareholders are like, can we make, can we find a way to make more money off of Deadpool 2 before like Disney buys us? That's kind of what happened. And, you know, it, it, it made some money. I, I imagine it, it does not cost much to get Fred Savage nowadays. Let's be real. I'm trying to think of a, a release that would have made similar money as Once Upon a Deadpool, and what immediately comes to mind is the PG re-release of The King's Speech. <laughs> Wait, what? There was a PG re-release from my memory, which is notoriously foggy, but I think they re-released The King's Speech without the therapy scene where he gets him to curse to sort of get past his speech impediment. Because they figured, oh, what if grandparents and Christian people want to see The King's Speech? There's just one scene where Colin Firth is cursing a lot. And so they cut that out and re-released it, which I'm assuming made about as much money as Once Upon a Deadpool. So they took out the whole... The 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 the, crit, the critical scene of the movie the move the thing that makes the movie work they okay oh no I never thought of it like that oh my gosh the whole point is getting over his speech impediment that scene is crucial in his arc it's the first scene where he dies <laughs> oh no what the hell okay uh yeah I, back to my expectations for free guy I thought it was had the potential to be a good time 
from the trailers, it looked like it'd be funny. I was hoping for some decent acting. It's directed by Sean Levy, who uh, directed the Night at the Museum movies, which I am uh, very oddly fond of. <laughs> I actually really <laughs> enjoy the Night at the Museum movies. I think it's because I, I, I like Ben Stiller, despite everyone in my life telling me not to like Ben Stiller. So, you know, that's where I'm at. I don't know. Some people hate Ben Stiller, man. It's... <laughs> That seems so strange to me. He's always been a really ahead of his time, like comedian. Is it just because of like his face or something? I think it's. I think. I think people just get resentful of people that are famous, most likely because their parents were famous. And, and Ben, oh, ben yeah. Stiller's a very obvious case of that. Jerry Stiller was his dad, or am I thinking of someone else? It was Jerry Stiller was his father. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's good. Hollywood is a meritocracy in that respect. <laughs> God. I just, oh my goodness. Yeah, now I, I get it. Mr. Um, you know, people worked their way to be here. Meryl Streep's daughter, the 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 girl from Groundhog's Day's daughter, all those, all those child <laughs> celebrities, they worked their way up here, Mr. Ben oh, Stiller. Hard right, work. right. So, you know, Sean Levy's a director I like, and I thought this movie looked interesting. The trailers looked fun. There was like, even from the first trailer, there was this tone to it that felt really upbeat that I enjoyed. And uh, there's this shot in the trailer where it it, it it almost goes third person, like in a video game in the way the camera moves. And it looks really cool. And, and it made me think this movie could be kind of fun, maybe a little inventive. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go see it. And uh, when it finally came out, I was like going to theaters. I saw it with my dad. And I, God, man, I was, I fucking love this movie. It's my second favorite movie of the year so far. And th this is coming from someone who, you know, loves a lot of movies. And it, it's up there for me. I play it. I almost put it in front of In the Heights. And then I went, no, I think I like In the Heights more. But it was close. I was not expecting to love Free Guy as much as I've loved Free Guy. It's so, it's warm. It's optimistic. It, 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 it pretty much defies in the face of cynicism. It is also a Marxist film, as you and I know. It is a... <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I was going to say it was about Kabul. But, um, <laughs> we might have had slightly different takes on the subtext. <laughs> you know, either way, it's based. Um... <laughs> I... Uh, I Sorry, I, I have um, Sean Levy's entire dossier here. In case people don't know anything about Sean Levy, he also did uh, Rapid Fire here, Big Fat Liar, Cheaper by the Dozen, The Big Panther, Date Night with Tina Fey, Real Steel, that movie no one saw, Jack Jackson, the movie, Deep Cut, six episodes of Stranger Things, he produced Arrival, and he got his big break in a movie no one's seen called Zombie Nightmare, unless you're Canadian, which starred Adam West, or at least featured Adam West. Yo! Yeah. yeah. His dossier is crazy. Yeah, there's a lot of, uh, I I'm gonna be honest with you, a lot of uh, bad mid-2000s films in there. But, which, uh... But did you did you notice the trend? They're feel-good movies. Yes. This guy likes feel-good movies. This this guy is a king at making feel-good movies. Even Steel, which I saw. Me and, like, two other people did, I think. I didn't, see, I didn't see it in the theaters. I saw it years later, because I'm a... I love Hugh Jackman, so I try to see his movies. I see his movies. So, I'm... It's a trend. It's a, he likes the feel-good movie. So I guess it uh, makes sense that this movie would be like this. I guess it's just one of those things where you don't connect the dots. Because Sean Levy... Sean Levy is not like Richard Linklater or Garamel Del Toro or Steven Spielberg. He's not like this household name. So you don't associate a specific style with him. 
He's not an auteur, he's more of a studio man. He's one of those people you can throw in with the right right combination of ingredients. He, he's like a thing you throw at the box office and you reap cash with. And uh, it's good that you say you like Hugh Jackman because Hugh Jackman is the whole reason this movie happened. <laughs> You're right. Hugh Jackman voices, uh, I don't think it's him in the outfit, but it'd be awesome if it was. But he at least voices the guy that uh, tells uh, Jodie Comer's character whose name I forgot. Oh my gosh, Millie, I think. Millie, I mean, I Millie, it's Millie. You're Miss right. Molotov, right? Yeah, Molotov is her like gamer tag or whatever. Yeah, it gives the location of the important video clip to uh, Molotov, which kind of sets this whole chain of mo- chain of events into motion. I um, oh, yeah. Ooh. Real quick, Hugh Jackman in real life is the reason this movie happened. Have you read about this? No. Yet? Wait, what? I've got a fantastic story for you, Tanner. So basically, um, I think in 2016, somewhere around there, Sean Levy passed up. He read the script of Free Guy and went, no. And then Hugh Jackman had the good idea. I'm going to introduce Mr. Levy to my friend Ryan Reynolds because they're both Canadians. And uh, he figured it was like if you put Reynolds and Levy together, they'd make a 10 is what I I think the quote was. And then I think Reynolds and Jackman read the script and convinced Sean to make the movie. And that's what set Free Guy into motion, was that meeting set up by Wolverine. Holy shit. Thank you, Based Wolverine, for giving us this Free Guy. I know I can always count on Hugh Jackman. Every time Hugh Jackman stars in a movie, I'm there, man. That reminiscence, whatever movie he's he's starring in that's coming out like next weekend, God, that thing's going to make no money at the box office. It's going to make $7 because I paid for a ticket. <laughs> Hey, $14. I am very excited <laughs> to see Waterworld 2. Oh my god, it is Waterworld 2. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, god. Uh, so, you know, we've established our expectations. We've established we loved it. What what do we love about it, Austin? What, what made us fall in love with this movie so damn much? Because there's so many moments I can point to, but it's almost difficult to atter- articulate my overall, like, what what did I love about what did you love about this movie, Austin? Well, if I uh starting back root psychology, if I want to get grandoise about it. Fuck me. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was probably uh when I was growing up, my initial profession I wanted to do back when I was like, I want to be a princess, I want to be a firefighter age, it was I wanted to be an animator, I wanted oh. to make cartoons. Then when I got to the age where schooling was getting to training me for careers, like around like middle school, when you could start actually thinking about these things more seriously and training, um, I wanted to be a game designer. I had a group of friends. It was me and three other friends. We were going to be tight for life. And we all decided game design was what we wanted to go into. And that path branched off into filmmaking the second I found out how easy filmmaking was in comparison (laughs) to game design. But there was this part of me, uh, back before I stopped playing video games and started doing After Effects all the time, where I was such a big gamer. I, I grew up watching G4 Tech TV. i fascinated with video games. I knew about the thing in Adventure, the Easter Egg in Adventure, before Ready Player One came out. <laughs> I was a huge video game nerd. And one thing I, I uh, when I was in high school and I, I had already set off on the path as a filmmaker, I was thinking one of these things I was going to Hollywood for, trying to make indie movies for, was to synthesize the two. I wanted to make movies that were more like video games, aesthetically. And not in any 
weird gauche way, I thought that there was some middle ground that we hadn't achieved yet that thanks to technology like bolt arms, uh, you know, motorized steady cams and things, amazing CG, that we could make a movie, give you the same thrill as these video games where the camera is, you know, computer-generated imagery and all this nuts stuff can happen. And that is one thing I absolutely loved about Free Guy. It's set in Grand Theft Auto, <laughs> and it's about an NPC that is actually a neural net AI. I cannot tell you how high concept this movie is, and what's a giant blast about it is, it as high concept as it is, it doesn't care. It, it just wants to be another feel-good Ryan Reynolds movie. It's a blast. I think I think you just nailed it uh, when you just brought up the fact that it's it is high concept. That's what I think. It was never. I think that's the key because it's actually real. It's if you read this plot out on paper, you could probably convince someone that this was like an A twenty four movie. Maybe. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. A twenty four made an action movie, man. Because it's it's really high concept. It's an AI, and I I've read some letterbox reviews that mentioned some other things, but I think what you just mentioned is maybe the core as to what I loved about it. Um. The core of what I loved about it. I've also, you know, I like the theming a lot. I like all the performances a lot. Really, I just loved everything about this movie. There was just never a dull moment. The movie's constantly throwing different stuff at you that's really exciting and fun. If it's not a joke, it's a good action set piece. It's a good character interaction. It's just a generally good moment or just, I, God, it's uh, <laughs> it's so hard <laughs> to articulate. I just really loved it, man. And, and I, Going into it, you know, you don't expect the, the the Ryan Reynolds video game movie to have things to say about artificial life. You don't you don't expect that from the, the August Ryan Reynolds video game movie. You don't you don't expect that. So it's like a pleasant, it's a surprise, it's a nice little treat, if you will. Eventually, at a point, they have to deal with the fact that Ryan Reynolds, who is an unplayable character in a video game, is dealing with things happening outside of the video game world that are an existential threat to what he perceives as the universe. So they run up against the sort of, like, Descartes problem. How? When do you exist? And how? And uh, sort of the way that the movie tries to deal with and make scenes for a PG-13 blockbuster audience explaining I think, therefore I am, are done with this sort of marketability that's really respectable. Because um, I think it's Ryan Reynolds and he has a best friend in the movie whose name I am going to have to look up. Buddy. Buddy. <laughs> Buddy. Ryan Reynolds and Buddy, I think, are the two characters who have to deal with this from the inside the cave perspective and then jody comer and uh Spieve from stranger things less so have to do, do the heavy work because you know they could talk about this like it's a real life program we have words for that but you have a scene where buddy and guy are talking i think in a living room and guy is just like okay well you know we exist inside a video game why does this matter anymore and Buddy is just like, well, I'm here trying to help a friend through a hard time. That's what matters. And it's just sort of like, once you can have these narratives, these, these thoughts, and these routines, they can matter enough that it doesn't really matter how much you exist, how many layers deep you exist, because you still have to pursue the things that make you feel. 
the things you love. Being able to love almost makes you exist all by itself. Being able to think makes you exist. And, and that's so crazy for this Ryan Reynolds movie. I mean, this is the Deadpool guy. This is the guy from the movies where T.J. Miller just does two hours of ad-lib takes so that they could sell unrated editions Blu-rays. And then we're all the way over in Free Guy, and it's talking about existence. Yeah, it's it's talking about existence, and I, you're articulating what I wish I could put into words. That is, I think, the primary thing I love about the movie is that it's this, like, just on the surface, it's a fun action blockbuster with good action, and I and I, I want to talk about the action eventually. And, you know, it's also really freaking funny. I was laughing my ass off throughout the entire thing. But at its core, it's a very, what you're saying, it's an interesting movie about what is it, what it means to exist and perceive the world around you, which is deeply fascinating. I let, I also read a letterbox review. Uh, someone said as uh, it came from a person that sounds like a Marvel hater. So, you know, the kind of person I'm not, I'm not. Um, Gross, sad people. But, but they brought up a good point. When is, when is the last time when is the last time you saw a good love movie? A movie about love that was a mainstream release, like a mainstream Hollywood release. When's the last time you saw something like that? Hmm. I I can't think of a blockbuster. I don't usually pay attention to those things <laughs> because they're so rote, you know? They break up at the end of the second act over a misunderstanding and they get together and overcome all odds right in the last five or ten minutes. Yeah, but... It's just every movie is that. I, I, I'd have to actually think on that question. Right, exactly. Well, this letterbox review, the reason they said they love it is they said, if I have to go to these dumb Ryan Reynolds action blockbusters to see a romance in a movie that felt real and believable and meaningful, then by God, I will. And I think that's another thing in the movie. The main, the crux of the romance works because it ties into the central themes of existence and per perceiving being. The, the love right. story works. And the love story is really, really handled well because they have this moment that's sort of gift-wrapped. Uh, sometimes they wait to say the, uh, you know, Tom Cruise and Jerry Maguire, you complete me line. There's a bit at the last, uh, you know, like last couple scenes of this movie where Ryan Reynolds is talking to Jodie Comer's video game avatar, uh, you know, that is her in the real world playing the video game he's in, Free City. And he says something that could, that makes her realize something that the audience has known the entire movie. But the exact words used are able to synthesize sort of the highly technical way all of this is going on. And sheer poetry. Actual, just beautiful, like I can repeat this to my parents and they'll get why it's amazing. And this all plays out very well. Like, it's a, it's a fine movie. Whoever wrote this did a fantastic job. I can't tell how much my heart swelled when he said the line about the love letter. Right. I seriously, I can't remember the exact wording. I'm pretty sure it was something like, I'm a love letter to you. Imagine that. Yeah. Someone who is conscience, conscious, understanding that he was made by this sort of like stand-in for a god that's really just a computer programmer in the normal world, and no one knows what's above us, but he can understand what a computer program is and realize his whole existence was made, everything he thinks and feels, because this woman exists, and it's powered on somebody's love for her. Oh, right. that's so nice. Yeah, I seriously think I'm a love letter to you. Is is We're going to be hearing that in, like, the, the great romantic lines and like in 10, 15 years from now, I sincerely believe 
people are going to be quoting that at like weddings and shit, you know? I'm a love letter to you. And you know, it's going to go down in history like when you realize you want to spend the rest of your life with somebody, you want to start the rest of your life as soon as possible, or you complete me. It's going to go down like that because it's such a unique, perfect line that perfectly encapsulates the love. It's just so, it's amazing. It's really such a beautiful line. And the romance at its core, because love is what makes him wake up. Love is what makes him ultimately perceive the world around him. It's, it's, I think as explained in the movie, the way that guys sort of AI works is he's trapped in a loop. Imagine everything you do in the day, wake up, get coffee, go to work, go to bed, four nodes. And then the thing that makes you break outside the nodes is the essence of wanting something, wanting something more because more can never really be filled. It's an endless container. But instead of wanting more, the way you think of, like, humans, where we want, like, excess, we want more comfort, more things, monkey brain. Guy is programmed to always want a specific woman, and the more he wants her over time, this sort of dream woman, the more that he can imagine sort of his life being different. These, these sort of pathways are opened just by his, his want of loving this person. It's strange. It's like it's like this wonderful hypothetical person that's just powered on wanting to love someone instead of wanting to, I don't know, be comfortable or have more stuff belong to them. Right. Yeah, I think you're I think you're nailing it on that. Man, you're just you're the smart sounding guy in this podcast. Well, I'm the one I do like at the movie. <laughs> I, I absolutely am fudging this. Anyone anyone remotely with a master's degree is just gonna be like God, this this guy's talking out his ass. So we do you want to step down to like talking about the visuals or something less dead? <laughs> oh, so, so what? So we stop. Listen, listen. Yes, but I do want to say I have always been a firm believer that genuine art and something meaningfully artistic can come out of the corporate studio system. I genuinely believe that, and I think this is an example of that. Let's get to the fun stuff, man. God, oh, God. yeah, buy it. <laughs> <laughs> I was starting to feel like I was stretching my brain and I was, I was reaching for words that I had heard in a vocabulary class. Who's just like, film studies don't let me down now. So let me tell you something. Do you remember that shot? You can see this in the trailer where it goes third person for the first time and does this sort of pan around Free City, the video game. Right, game. yeah. Best guess that I got on how that was done was a bolt arm. Those little camera robots that can sort of, uh, they can go up and repeat motions very quickly. Used on, like, the Kendrick Lamar video for Humble. Lots of productions. They weigh, like, two tons. But they did one pass with him standing there and one pass without it. So they could sort of, like, an opacity fade through him and it goes into third person. Ain't that some shit? That it looks is great. fucking brilliant. I was wondering how they pulled that shot off because it looks so damn cool. And there's just, yeah. God, and that's like, that's the start of the cake, man. So we have a couple things that are just going to be fuel for the fire for this discussion. One is if we ever bring up Ready Player One, <laughs> the other I want to bring up is the Suicide Squad. The Suicide Squad is a much more brief context. So the budget for this movie was between 100 and 125 million. Right. The budget for Suicide, the Suicide Squad, I believe was 150 million. 175 million. Okay, the budget for the Suicide Squad was $175 million. This movie looked infinitely more expensive than the Suicide <laughs> Squad. 
Yeah. Walking out of it, I was so, my mind was blown by all the CG stuff they did in here. <laughs> there is so, so much CG. It's kind of a miracle they shot it on the budget they did. Ryan Reynolds movies tend to do that, though. You know, the first Deadpool movie had like a budget of like. It was six, like 30, right? Yes. I think it was $60 million, but like something that like, you know, it's the it's the mid-budget movie they don't make anymore. You know, <laughs> it that was what Deadpool was. I, I later heard it's because Tim Miller, the director, owned the VFX studio that did the effects for the movie. And apparently there was some weird financials going on. And I, this is not a dunk on Tim Miller podcast, though. So <laughs> Lots of favors pulled in. So I'm guessing what made the Suicide Squad a lot more expensive was shooting in Panama. Uh, lots of practical effects. Those little star things that stick to people's face, a lot of those were practical. Right. Just a lot of a lot of things. But then this movie is actually set inside a place that doesn't exist. And the craziest part goes by video game physics. Video game god mode console things can happen in here. And the movie does not shy away from this at all. Do you remember the first scene when a couple of people in the complaints department tried to deal with Guy, right? When right. he got his sunglasses. Yeah, the, Do you co- remember the that cop scene? and the bunny. The only bunny that... Ex- the only t- They put that bunny all over the marketing. He's in a scene. <laughs> oh, yeah, he is. <laughs> a good scene, but... I thought he was going to be a consistent antagonist and I was ready for it. I was like, come on, this movie's got to beat out Donnie Darko for the evil rabbit suit. <laughs> we need, you know, we need another evil rabbit. This is the, this is the, the evil rabbit cinematic universe. Uh, we're going to put, yeah. we're going to throw in Zootopia because cop. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think that to describe that scene is just somebody hacking at Fortnite. It was it was so neat because I think that was the first scene where somebody really expanded the the sort of told you how much of a video game this was and how much they are basically gods of this world because this massive, crazy-looking building with the weirdest architecture you've ever seen just starts shifting around like mad. Just construction materials popping up wherever the programmers need them, and that is nothing compared to what they do in later scenes. Right, it was like some, in- they, the first action set piece is some Inception shit. Oh, yeah, that is right. a great comparison. Right? With the shifting architecture, con- that's some Inception shit. And, like, that's, like, the first set piece, and it only gets better from there, if you ask me. There is a set piece later on where the protagonist and the girl uh, he loves are inside of a car trying to get somewhere. And when that started, I was like, okay, maybe they'll, maybe they'll, I don't know, they'll drop some things in his way. Oh, no, I was not prepared for what they were about to do to try to stop <laughs> that car. All I have to say is millions of computer hours went into that sequence. I am confident and good job to whichever VFX company did that. I was thoroughly impressed. Got to see this in IMAX. The sound and the sights were incredible. The CG, none of it looks bad. Except for, of course, the CG that's supposed to look like a video game. You know what? Straight up, though, when, whenever they would show what the video game looked like to the real world, it reminded me of those fucking, you know, those like those ads where it's like, that's how Mafia works. It looked exactly like those fucking advertisements. I swear to God, they had to have gotten the same goddamn studio to make them. They look so similar. <laughs> I, I'm a level one. I'm a level one khakis guy. I'm a level two Henley guy. I'm a level 100 two glocks in my pocket guy. 
the two the two Glocks in my pocket line was just incredible. There were so many great zingers in the movie. What were you about to say? Oh, uh, there's one thing. Uh, the Wikipedia article for this, it has a sort of list of comparisons because I'm working us up to the Ready Player One discussion. Right. So as the article is written on this day of recording, critics compared it favored, favorably, Free Guy, to a combination of Ready Player One, The Truman Show, The Matrix, the Lego movie, and Grand Theft Auto. The first four referring to the concept, the last one referring to the setting. Right. And one thing I thought was a crime to be left off of that list, have you ever seen the John Carpenter 80s classic, They Live? Oh, I mean, yeah, it's right there with the glasses and all, man. <laughs> I don't know how that didn't make the dang list, because the whole movie's about people who wear sunglasses and rule over everything. Come on! Yeah, like, the sunglasses reveal the real world to you. It's a pretty obvious, it almost feels like a, a deliberate homage to They Live, in a way. That's what I was thinking. I was surprised. I mean, I was happy. Everyone came out and wanted to focus on the whole my life as a lie, my life is a show, the world is fake aspect of it. But nobody shouting up they live. You you said it, it's direct. Yeah. It's the exact same thing as they live. Even down to having a black friend who doesn't want to put the sunglasses on. <laughs> it, it's that's such a direct homage, yeah. So that's kind of weird that I got left out of the comparisons, but all those other ones, man, they're like really fitting. It is like if you put those four movies in a blender and said, here you go, Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> I personally like this more than the Lego movie, which is all personal taste. Because I don't want to throw that at anybody. I know that movie is in, it's extremely well-respected. But for whatever personal reason, I think it was because of the PG-13 rating. I, I'm one of those really snide, sad people. I like movies the higher-up rated they are. <laughs> I... I mistake intensity for authenticity a lot. I'm gonna I'm gonna show you a poster that says 2001: A Space Odyssey's rated G, and you're just gonna start crying. <laughs> uh, How could I it think, be G? I think to quote Tim on an earlier podcast, that was the 1960s G, <laughs> which is today's X rating. <laughs> it was a different time. Yeah, I, I I think the Lego Movie comparison is most interesting because it's the plots are pretty. Not quite one-to-one, -one, but there's definitely a similarity between them. Um, I think it executes it differently. I feel like uh, Lego Movie went for a more class war analyst perspective, while Free Guy went for a more individualist perspective. Oh, here I am using these big words I don't know how to use. But um, <laughs> I don't know how to talk. <laughs> You're rocking them, dude. You're rocking it. Yeah, but it's definitely, I, I think, they're pretty neck and neck to me. Right, the Lego movie was one of my favorite movies of the year it came out. It's genuinely one of my favorite animated movies of all time. Um, and Free Guy, I, Free Guy, it's just so crazy, you know. There's one thing that we are decided on because Lego movie, Free Guy, impossible competition. No one would ever figure that out until year, at least a longer amount of time after Free Guy comes out. But now for that bomb I've been waiting to drop. Ready Player One. Oh boy, here we so, go. <laughs> we were having sort of PMs after we both saw the movie on the same day. And I can't remember which of us first got to it, but it was just generally the sentiment of, this is what I wanted out of Ready Player One. Even that it makes Ready Player One feel less watchable because of how well Free Guy was executed. Which is a shame, because I actually, again, I do really, really love Ready Player One, but this movie almost puts into perspective how great Ready Player One could have been 
Because thinking back on it now, I think most of what I love about Ready Player One is, you know, the set pieces beforehand, but in terms of emotional character work, it's largely in the third act and it's largely carried on Mike Rylance's fucking back. Holy shit. All the emotional weight in that movie's carried on his goddamn shoulders. Holy shit. <laughs> that scene where he gets the last Easter egg and goes to view the man who created the game. That is such a powerful scene. I, I cried at it, and it is so above everything else in that movie. By just, like, by a lot. Yeah. Yeah, that's the scene I think that made me, like, I, I like, I, lo- I really like the Free Guy book. Me and Anax bonded over that book. Um, so I really liked the book. I was really excited for the movie because it's Spielberg and I felt, felt there was no one more perfect for Ready Player One than Spielberg. But I, I, I rated Spiel, I rated Ready Player One like five stars when I watched it and I meant it. I really think I was just totally swept up in that one scene. Everything with Mark Rylance and that performance was so perfect playing this. Re- Listen, it's hard to play a Silicon Valley type super sympathetically. <laughs> Okay, that's actually really fucking hard to do, and Mark Rylance pulled it off to perfection. Where I, I think I think the key is is that you need if you want people to feel bad for the rich person, you need them to resent the money they have. <laughs> that's the formula. That's the Tanner Craft formula. <laughs> and you know, Mark Rylance, I also read his character as autistic, so that probably factored into my enjoyment of it. But what everything in that scene in Ready Player One is really present throughout all of Free Guy. And it also doesn't, and again, I don't mind it. I sincerely don't mind it. Free Guy does have a lot of references, including a weird reference to Joe Black that I sent to you. I don't know if you connected it, but the scene where Guy gets hit by two cars, it looks identical to that scene in Meet Joe Black. See, whenever anyone brings up Meet Joe Black, I always think they're talking about the scene where he speaks Creole to the lady. I was thinking, that's not in Free Guy. Yeah, that's in the extended edition. <laughs> but you know, in a in a movie that has references, it relies on it way less than Ready Player One does. That was one of the things we talked about in the PM was <laughs> if there is one thing you can categorize the 2010s with, because I've seen YouTube videos about how there wasn't a zeitgeist in that decade because everyone fractured off into all these tiny micro communities. There was a zeitgeist being pushed at least by corporate giants of in entertainment and it was nostalgia right it was it was nostalgia particularly for the 80s i know that every decade sort of has that defining nostalgia trip movie thing but in the 2010s it was almost most of what we had hence why spielberg could probably get you know 250 billion dollars to make ready player one <laughs> yeah god that movie is so expensive to make and it and it looks at two so you know what it's i think part of what makes me like free guy more is that when we're seeing things from guy's perspective it it, it looks real it, it sincerely looks real when we're seeing it from guy's perspective and ready player one when we're seeing things in the video game it distinctly looks fake Yes, they um they did the thing that wor- used to work really well in Spielberg movies before he transitioned into all CG environments or primarily CG environments, which is really complicated camera moves. The problem is a really complicated camera move in CG, we don't have physics and optics figured out enough to make that look perfect. So you can have these crazy things that would take like a billion cranes and the little cameras you hang on wires and and do it in a computer no problem but it doesn't look as it doesn't look as cool and yeah fact, 
in CG a lot of the time, this your CG looks better if you limit the movement of your camera to be more like a real-life simple camera. Right. I I think it's the perfect comparison with the, uh, you know, the big grand camera moves. They don't really work at Ready Player One, but they do the big grand camera move, that one we keep talking about, that third-person shot, that works. That works. That- my theory for that is, uh, besides the stuff, the inserted stuff floating around him, from what I can remember about the Wikipedia article is, they shot in, like, the financial district of a city. I think they shot on locations for some of the thing in free, some of the things in Free City. Now, if you think about the video game things around him, it's stuff we do know how to make look good. Fake video game, like, you know, health packs, a little sign, a jet... But the ground around him, the building around him, that might have all been practical, which is the hardest part to sim right. And he was practical because they could just do two passes with a bolt arm, which is why that shot works in this movie. And when you see a giant 360 around Parzival 10 times thing in Ready Player One, it doesn't quite work as well. Right, yeah. I, I, I said it to you before. I said, as someone who loves Ready Player One, I think this movie ruined Ready Player One for me because it's such an obvious comparison. It's the other big video game in a video game movie. It's such an obvious comparison. And they're trying to do different things thematically, but on the surface, it's such an easy comparison. One of the things, personal taste-wise, that I liked a lot more was the relationship the people in this movie had to Free City, a massive phenomenon most easily compared to Grand Theft Auto if it had Fortnite's popularity. That's... uh, basically it i i I think or go ahead no no please i think i said this when i got home where i said this is the first i don't remember who i said this to but free guy i think is the first movie i've seen in recent memory where uh they they they, uh treat gamers uh, like the monsters they are listen i play a lot of video games all right i I played a lot of video games during the, the, the the dark days of the lockdown of 2020 I play. I I love video games, and when a new one comes out, I will sink a lot of time into it, and I'll still <laughs> occasionally play it. I love video games. If someone says they're a gamer, I assume they're racist. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> it's if you identify as a gamer, that's what it's. That's what's sketchy. I play video games, all right. I'm not a. I'm not a gamer. I just play video games sometimes, man. I'm not one of them. That's how I feel. This movie accurately portrays that, and a, a specific character I want to shout out which is the Channing Tatum character whose real-life persona constantly is fucking yelling at his mom while he's, quote, 22 and doesn't have a job and is living under... What was the line the mom had where she's like, you're 22 and you still live with me, there is no God? Or something like that, which was fucking incredible! (laughs) I think I I might like this synthesis of 20th Century Fox and Disney because you you always wonder when a company merges with Disney, how much fun can they have? You know, the the mouse. And with lines like that, because Disney has such a massive audience of Christians, I was just thinking, oh, wow, we still got the jokes. That's amazing that left it in because that played really well in my theater. Right, yeah, I think that that got a really big laugh. I think another line that got a really big laugh was when he was like, you know that when he's trying to rally the city and he's like oh how many murders do you see like none how many often does the game get robbed none is gun violence a real problem well actually that one's actually kind of a really big problem <laughs> it's very 
was sad. It was it was one of those things where I was laughing, and then I was like, "Why am I laughing? This is horrible." <laughs> no, no, I think she said something like it's very sad or it's very terrifying. That line was so funny, and you get the just the the weird Ryan Reynolds blank face and just the. Wow, I wasn't expecting to hear that. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds is perfect at that stuff. Ryan Reynolds was the D right lead Hollywood leaning man to lead this movie. I can't think of another actor that could have done it like he did. No, no, because he's perfectly hot, so you can buy him as a video game action character, but he's got that sort of down-to-earthness. Because usually when people work out as much as Ryan Reynolds, um, have as much money as Ryan Reynolds, and get to have sex with Blake Lively as much as Ryan Reynolds. They cannot pull off the relatable friend you had in college anymore. They just can't. And he also has the acting range necessary beyond being able to come across as your funny friend. He can make you genuinely feel sad for him when he's in a rough situation. He's got a really expressive face. And also something about his personality, when he says these complicated lines that are just hell on a page, nobody could pull off saying this and make it sound real. Ryan Reynolds is your guy. That's Ryan, why he's dead. Yes. Ryan Reynolds is the king at making lot at when you read a script and say no actor can say that. Ryan Reynolds can say that. And I think you nailed it perfectly. I think you nailed it perfectly with the fact that Ryan Reynolds is this literal god compared to us if you want to get all weird celebrity worshipy. But just objectively, he's hotter than me. He has more money than me. He has more Blake Lively than me. Just like you were saying, you know? So, but it's the fact that he's still able to feel down to earth. Ryan Reynolds to this day still feels like a person I would just see at not Walmart, but Target. <laughs> he is a Target shopper. Oh my God. Right? Yeah. Ryan Reynolds still looks like a guy I could just see at Target and maybe like we strike up a conversation about the shampoo we use, you know? Ryan Reynolds still feels like that kind of person, which is really interesting because I've noticed a general trend with the people that don't like this movie is that they can't buy Ryan Reynolds as that guy. And if you can't find more power to you, but the, like, I think it it, it, it it perfectly encapsulates why Ryan Reynolds is perfect for this kind of thing. He, he's just the right count, which makes sense. He produced it. So, I mean, it makes sense. But God, I, so I wonder, good. the thing that really solidifies the target argument is how much he likes his blue Henley. Because I guarantee you the nicest blue Henley you'll ever buy is from Target. Right. It's a Target personality shirt. Uh, I know that it's like 45 minutes into the cast, but we had a lot of macro stuff to get into and the structure's sort of amorphous. Let's talk about Jodie Comer, just just quickly. Oh, we're, I want to I want to talk about her. Who cares? Oh I my mean, god. We don't have to edit this. I'm just going to release this vaguely unedited. <laughs> Thank god. Sorry audience, it took us this long to talk about Jodie Comer, but we wanted to get the weird jazzy stuff out of the way before we got into like actors by performances yeah jodie comer is actually amazing in this movie i think her and reynolds have this perfect chemistry but she's she's the one doing like she's the one with the real conflict in the real world so she she truly feels like a second lead more than just a romantic figure of interest for ryan reynolds's character and, and i could easily see like someone writing a film essay where they say jodie comer is the main character of the movie I could see someone like, I don't know why someone would write a film essay about this. I'm the guy that wrote a <laughs> film essay about the Avengers. So, I mean, what am I saying? But you're not alone. There is another you out there who liked Free Guy this much and went, you know what? I finally found a blockbuster complicated enough that I can write an academic essay about it. Yeah, I can see that happening. And, and you could easily argue that she's the main character because a lot of, you know, she's ultimately what drives Guy. She's the, she, 
ultimately propels the story forward more than just as much as Guy does. So she really feels like a second lead and she's given some great scenes to work with some pretty good emotional scenes. And I also think the funniest line in the movie was when after she kisses Guy and she finds out he's an AI and, and, and Joe Carey is like, you, 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 there's not a button for kissing. And she just goes, Oh, he found the button, which, uh, by the way, is a reference. Way, it's a, uh, <laughs> to the, uh, to the, to the, uh, that, that, that piece of genitalia, if you will, piece is of that... genitalia, if you will, what the fuck am I saying? It's an innuendo. <laughs> an innuendo is the word. That's what I was looking for. <laughs> not piece of genitalia. <laughs> It's 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 one of the seventeen elements of the vagina. Yeah, they're yeah. I think there's seventeen parts of the clitoral network. I, I read this book when I was younger called "She Comes First by Ian Kerner. Every guy should be forced to read that, including like, free guy. When, when you said clitoral network, I was like, I was like, yeah, I get you know, I get some, uh, you know, I get good four G reception on the clitoral network, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, oh, but no. that <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no, go ahead. I I so I recently got introduced to Jodie Comer. Did not know who she was. I guess I've just been hiding under various rocks. A friend of mine came over and he's younger. So he throws on sort of different types of YouTube videos than I watch, including there there's this one content creator who makes these videos that are like uh 6 minutes of um the blonde character in Black Widow. Six minutes of Florence Pugh's character in Black Widow being right. a mood, you know? And uh, he showed me this video that was like 13 minutes of Villanelle being way too much. And I was watching her character from this show called Killing Eve, Villanelle, based off a series of books, I think, just being off the walls. And there were a few things that stuck out, most notably how she could shift through an unholy amount of accents perfectly. Like, really fantastic Russian accent, just in and out. And she also has an English accent, because she's English. She has a Southern and Northern American accent. This woman is fantastic at acting. And I'm happy that this movie allowed her to get some of that in, because that was the first thing that stuck out when I was introduced to her was, oh, she's great at accents. And they gave her an English and an American accent in this movie. And it's referenced as an accent filter. But to make that work, you need someone who's great at accents, you know? Right. Yeah, what was crazy to me was when I discovered that I figured she was, like, one of the, like, three Americans that know how to do a British accent. You know how, like, everyone, every time you show a British person the Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock Holmes movie, they can't believe that Robert Downey Jr. doesn't sound like a cartoon character. You know, that kind of thing. (laughs) Uh, I figured she was just an American that could do a British accent. No, it's the other way around. She's just a British person who, you know, every British person has like a great American accent, except Benedict Cumberbatch, oddly enough. He slips in sometimes, so I don't know what's up with that, but... (laughs) All right, British accents, go. Oi, governor, you want some tea in the water closet? Oh, fuck off, you wanker. (laughs) It's just Uh, excessive cursing. Uh, some of the writing was um, gave me some enjoyable things with Jodie Comer's character. Uh, for the start, was wondering what her relationship was like with Joe Carey Speeve from Stranger Things. Because I think the first time they're on screen together, she does breaking and entering into an apartment. Now, before that, there's a segment in the apartment being played 
of her and him in like an IGN interview in 2015. Right. But when they actually meet in real life, she's broken into his apartment. And just that juxtaposition of them being professional developers who are working on this kind of intimate project together, showing no signs that they're in maybe an actual relationship. And then back to the real world, back to the present, she has broken into his apartment. He's talking about having a non-disclosure agreement against her. And you just start wondering, who are these people? What does the movie have in store for these two? Yeah. It's uh, again. It it's just the thing with it's like well, the whole thing we've been saying is that this movie's unexpectedly uh, having depth, and that's another thing. That scene is just a perfect like hooking your audience in with enough questions. You know, where are these people? How do they know each other? Clearly, they used to know each other and were friendly. Why are they not friendly anymore? NDA, like the company he works for, what's going on? And you know, it kind of establishes the stakes, the conflict, and uh, does does their code count as a MacGuffin? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's another thing I liked about this over Ready Player One. Ready Player One, which is broke. Um, we're playing the video game to find an Easter egg that is worth $8 trillion. Half the world's money or something. Whereas Free Guy is bespoke. We're playing the video game to try to find uh, an Easter egg inside of it. And, and not like like a trillion dollar Easter egg, but a map that's been hidden out of bounds. Right, and, and proving, by the way, God, that just kind of shows how uh, how horrible of, like, this. they reference it when Free Guy 2 launches at, or Free City 2 launches at the end, where, like, it's a buggy mess. It, it's really obvious that, they, that, that it's not, it's, uh, we can say this, it's Activision. It's just, it's just Activision. It's just Blizzard Activision. I mean, after what we've heard about Blizzard Activision, I mean, have you heard about the Blizzard Activision stuff? Uh, no, not quite. Fill me in. Uh, so, uh, I, I guess it all started with the, the girl that, um, worked for the company and was sexually assaulted by a fellow employee and when reported it to HR, they blamed her. So she killed herself. Uh, that's probably where the story begins. The state of California is suing Blizzard Activision for gross abuse of employees. Oh my goodness. And uh, that's go just the tip of the iceberg. What I just told you. Go California. I mean, uh, she's waiting around. Somewhere in that world between ours and the next. And the sooner she gets justice, the sooner her soul can rest. Yeah, so basically that's just the extent of it. It's all that There's more than just that they did for employees. They, oddly enough, as recently as 2015, had a uh, room that only male employees could go into called the Cosby Room. I'll let you make of that what you will. <laughs> well, I mean, they also do that thing where they sacrifice children to Moloch so they can make Warcraft cutscenes look better. Yeah. So basically, I, I got real, like, bullshit AAA company vibes from Tsunami, the developers in this movie. So uh, it's it, it goes to show that they're so bad at stealing code that they can't even get rid of the fucking assets of the game that they stole the cold code from. Because they, yeah, could, they clearly couldn't understand the code, so they couldn't decouple it. It was, yeah, it was really funny because it was so much more relatable than Ready Player One because maps in like online online multiplayer maps do have fun easter eggs out of bounds this is like one of my recreational youtube things that's a very real thing most people familiar with video games know about and none of them are worth eight trillion dollars but then there was the thing that seemed less realistic which was well it's just the ai for an npc did you did you really you you really taika waititi really was not able 
to get that AI into one of his NPCs without keeping an entire other game in his new game? I think it just shows how much how he doesn't know how to code. He doesn't know how to code. He doesn't know what he's doing. So he has to hide it from as many people as possible or else they'll be like, hey, you're stealing shit. You, you owe lo- loyalties and everything. So it's, 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 there's like a very funny story within the unexplained text there. <laughs> if that makes sense. And we're back. Uh, we hope you enjoyed a monkey screaming. I'll put a monkey screaming or something in. Uh, what the hell were we talking about? Oh my God. Taika Waititi. Uh, I guess we can talk about him. Yeah, we should talk about Taika Waititi because he was a massive draw of this movie. He's on fire right now. And I think that while he's not a legendary performance, I wasn't getting, you know, um, uh, what's his name? Heath Ledger is the Joker vibes <laughs> or anything like that. I wasn't getting Jim Carrey in, in Ace Ventura vibes. But I was thoroughly entertained, which is crazy because it's a comedy and he's playing someone such a weird archetype that you don't see on screen very often. Yeah, this is like, uh, this is like, it. You don't see characters like that very often, and he, he's chewing up the scenery. He's chewing up the scenery. He's having the time of his life with the whole fucking like, you know, that scene where he's like, "If I'm the owner of KFC, do you think <laughs> I'm I'm gonna what am I gonna do? Uh, uh, release uh, Nebraska roasted turkeys? No, I'm gonna give you KFC too." You know, he has That's- a lot of great zinger lines. You know. <laughs> That's what was sort of unique about him because uh, bro-type Silicon Valley developer, that is that is pretty standard. HBO made a whole show with like five seasons out of that. But what's strange is this is a PG-13 movie co-produced by Disney and 20th Century Studios. And this is sort of what makes his presence a little more fun because it is that feel-good movie seeping through as some kind of self-similar synecdoche kind of shit. Um, he is sort of blunted by by the movie. He's not the kind of broed out Silicon Valley uh, person where he's allowed to be super vulgar and over the top and mean to a level that's just so blowing your mind and making you angry. He's sort of like his edges are softened. He doesn't curse very much. He's trying to be he's not trying to fire everyone all at once, actually. Um, it's, it was sort of nice seeing the bro Silicon Valley, uh, you know, archetype with this massive leash on him because he had so many more scenes where he was actually trying to relate to people, explain things to them, not just this bulldozer that comes in and it's all bad news the second he opens his mouth. Yeah. Yeah. I just, God, he's just, he's a great villain. He's chewing up the scenery. He's fun. Though I do remember I told you how I, I had an alternate casting for this character. You remember this? Not at all. The, <laughs> I told you I, I told you when I watched the movie, I said I love Taiki Wati in a row. However, it did in parts feel like that part was written for a Z and Snari. Oh, now I remember. <laughs> yeah, I remember you said this is like an alternate universe where Tom Haverford's Entertainment 720 actually took off. <laughs> uh... Aziz Ansari with too much power would have been amazing in this role. Honestly, you, you nailed it. Yeah. That was like the only thing I would. And again, I love this movie. It's my second favorite movie of the year. I, I love, love, love this movie. The only thing about it, I think I would have changed was putting Aziz Ansari in that role because Takawatiti is great. You know, Takawatiti is good. This villain is good, but it could be better. 
but when he gets beat, you're denied what you would get with Aziz Ansari. When Taika Waititi gets beat, he still has a fresh New Zealand accent. He still looks like Taika Waititi. It, it, like, there's a freshness to him. You can't penetrate. I've never seen Taika Waititi, except for Jojo Rabbit, get humiliated to a point where it adds to the movie, right? Right. But when you, when you put Aziz Ansari in the third act and you beat him, watching Aziz Ansari lose, he, he does so good when he's losing. It's just satisfying. We, li- we like to see him win enough. But when he loses, it just, oh, it's a new level of entertainment. Yeah, I think it's fun. What it fundamentally goes down to is Taika Waititi is great in the world, but Taika Waititi is inherently this person you want to cheer for, while Azim Zari is inherently just this person. You, you don't wish him poorly, but you think it'd be kind of funny if fucked up shit happened to him? <laughs> only if it's at his own hand, only if there's sort of an Icarus fly too close to the sun scenario. We found right. out they like when Aziz Ansari does those. If his own hubris is what takes him down, that works with Tom. Or exactly. Or with Aziz. You know, he, him and that character is one of the same. I get it. Yeah. Yeah, those are like the three main performers of the movies, Reynolds, Comer, and Waititi. Though, I don't know. I don't know. There are characters in this movie I also want to shout out. You know, Little Ray Howery. I've apparently seen four 2021 movies with him in it this year. That is the most out of any actor. He's popping up in a lot of stuff, man. He was in this. He was in Bad Trip. He was in Space Jam. I forgot what the fourth thing was. <laughs> That's fantastic. What? What? Who do you play in Space Jam? I haven't like learned to recognize this actor yet. So in Space Jam, he was one of the announcers at the game at the end. Oh, that's really cool. The guy, the other guy sitting on the side of the table. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's the Holy old white cow. guy, and then there's him. Yeah. Oh my god! I figured that was some sports broadcaster from tv i didn't know that was an actor no he's just a funny actor and then you know he was also in bad trip as you know basically the second lead to eric andre Um, he did fantastic yeah and you know i'm pretty pretty sure we all don't don't think about it too hard please (laughs) (laughs) well we all i'm pretty sure uh first saw him and get out if memory serves me correctly I'm pretty sure he plays Chris's best friend in that movie, the TSA agent. Well, now that this is happening, I need to move him out of the background actor part of my mind. I have to, I have to, I have to think of him up there with all the other actors because there are just lots of actors where you see them in movies and you point and you go, "I've seen that guy before," and you never learn his name. Yeah, uh, for me, that guy is Jason Manta Zazuka Zakubi. I don't know how to say his name. Wait, the, the lead man in Aquaman? The lead of Aquaman? No, that's Jason Momoa. Hold on, hold on, no. I'm talking about a guy that's much <laughs> less sexy. No, uh, he's probably, you might know him because he also has a podcast called How Did This Get Made? Um, he was I on... that's very good. Yeah, it's pretty good. He was in Parks and Rec. I can't remember the character he plays. Um, but he's he was in The Good Place, if you've seen that. He was in... Um, Jason Mana, listen, he's that guy. He has that guy syndrome for me. Where it's like, yeah, it's that that Jason guy. I think like I recognize him on face, but I can't go deeper than that much. You know? Yeah, yeah. He's got a very distinctive hairdo and beard. But... Yeah, little little Ray Howery is upgraded past that now. Yes, he he did really good. What was odd was, um, it it sort of was just they live. 
with with Buddy. Um, it was just they didn't do an amazing job of Buddy trying to explain exactly why he doesn't want to put on the sunglasses and ascend. He got to shine in the third act was sort of like the the re- not a redemption because they didn't do bad with his character. He was very convincing with when he was beers on a beach. Then there's the middle part where he just had to put up with the fact the script didn't give him any real explanation for why he didn't want to, you know, put the glasses on. But then in the third act, he does a couple of really wonderful things. He's there as a comedic sidekick for a fight sequence, briefly, and then, out of nowhere, there's this scene where his character dies, and... It was not earned at all, but he was pulling on my heartstrings. It was so strange and hard to describe why. I, I it's hard to. I'm gonna. Oh God, I'm crying thinking about it. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> it it was so beautiful when you know him and his best friend, who has you know was the guy that got him out of his funk. You know, even though he was a minor character, I felt like that moment was earned personally. I don't know if it's just because I was so swept up at the emotions of it or if I genuinely feel that way. I don't know. But for me, when he said, you know, when he's like, you know, go on without me, you know, go save the day. And and Guy, Ryan Reynolds' character, is like, but, you you know, I can't leave him behind my best friend. And he's like, I'm sorry. And, and like, well, don't be sorry. This was the best day of my life. I started almost sobbing, man. I almost started. It was just the way he delivered it. Dude, you know, this guy that's his best friend, this was the best day of my life. It takes, I think, a lot of, you know, as a person, even as an artificial life, to be able to, like, lift your dying words, give your friend comfort, I think is, is it's just inherently a very powerful type of storytelling moment if you do it right. And I don't really think that's in the movie. Only that He has a lot to do emotionally with the movie between that and the getting Ryan Reynolds out of his funk. He's close to an emotional core in this movie. And he's just so good in it. It's incredible because the AIs, they have a sort of Groundhog's Day thing going on. And that's actually how Ryan Reynolds breaks out of all this initially. Jodie Comer is walking through and all the AIs are supposed to say the same thing they say every day. And Guy does not. And that sort of wakes him up. But to Buddy... Every day of his life is this really solid day, save for, like, the bank robbery, where he sits on his, he leads over on his stomach like he's a little girl kicking up his legs, chatting with his best friend, but then they go for beers on the beach. Uh, Ryan Reynolds' character says it in the beginning of the, the movie, he lives in paradise. They perceive it as really nice here. And they could have stayed in this safe little bubble where there's not a giant ripped version of your best friend trying to kill you. And there's not an ocean about to swallow you up forever. And he still says it's the best day of his life. With all the danger and and all that changed, he still got to help his friend. And that was so that was so important to him. Right. He cared. He loved Guy. I really think it shows that, like, when I say he's an emotional core of the movie, I remember at the end where, like, Millie, you know, Jodie Comer and Joe, Joe, what's his name from Stranger Things? Steve, Steve or Things. Speed from Stranger Things. Speaver Things and Millie. They're, they're about to embrace, and, you know, it cuts right before they kiss. And then it cuts into the video game world again, where Guy, who thinks he's lost his best friend, he sees him again. And then they embrace and hug, and it's the exact same shot. And I actually think it was a really, really 
from a feminist perspective and, and critiquing it in a gender roles perspective, I thought it was actually really interesting that they made an intentional choice to draw a parallel between the romantic embrace and the platonic embrace and saying these are two types of love that are different but equally valid. It's 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 a small thing, but it's one of those things that show this movie is deeper than you would think the fucking Ryan Reynolds video game movie would be. There's more depth to it than you would think because of that. Screenplay by Matt Lieberman. No link to his Wikipedia article. So a little something about Matt Lieberman that jumped out in this movie. Uh, toxic masculinity, white privilege. These words are used directly in the text in the movie. And none of the, like, female characters are sort of treated as any kind of, like, dozy stereotype. It was it was amazing, actually. This felt like a script that was written by the current generation of people who are not steeped in the past and have updated their social mores. It was, so, it was actually kind of refreshing to hear. Yeah. Like, it was very refreshing. It didn't feel forced. The only thing that ever felt a little forced in the movie was the right privilege line but it was funny and I forgave it. Yeah. yeah. Otherwise it felt very organic and and, and natural to what people would say. Um, I guess shout out to Steve from stranger things. He was cool. Joe Keery. Thank you. God. Joe Keery Keery was cool. (laughs) I've been trying not to look too much at the Wikipedia article because, um, we, we got a, we got a thing going on here. Right. You don't want to just spurt out what the wig, we don't want this to be a plot synopsis again. God. Yeah. Tanner, what was your favorite scene in the movie? Well, favorite scene? It might have been a guy. It might have been Buddy saying this was the best day of my life. That was an amazing scene. It could have also been the time where uh, Jody Comer, Millie, wakes Ryan Reynolds' guy up the second time. And, you know, even though it's like, wait, I thought you said there was no button for kissing. Fuck it. It's good movie making moment. Who gives a shit? Um, Yeah, and they have this insane... What it's called is a particle system. All those things flying around their heads, that's maybe not even just one particle system. It's a ton of particle systems that blew my mind. It looked like a soap commercial on many steroids. Right, right. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and I was uh, really into that scene. But I think I, I, I think my favorite part of the movie is when it paid tribute to Inspector Gadget, the movie. Uh <laughs> So at the, at the end of Inspector Gadget, I don't know if you've seen the Inspector Gadget movie. I hope you haven't, because I, I value you as a person. But, you know, at the end of the Inspector Gadget movie, it's revealed that Dr. Claw has made an evil version of Inspector Gadget, also played by Matthew Broderick, and they fight. At the end of this movie, the final, you know, action conflict is Dude, who is this super buff, unfinished character that's basically like guy on steroids and also on gamer bro. Like that dude, that dude drinks G fuel. I don't know what G fuel is. I just avoid it because gamers like it. That dude drinks G fuel. You know, and if, Oh, sorry. Well, it's, it's, it's just like inspector gadget. It's basically fighting. Who are you? I'm you, but stronger and eviler. It, it's really that. <laughs> and they make fun of it. It works. That. Yeah. That was fantastic. Ryan Reynolds put out a video spoiling the dude reveal and Ryan Reynolds doesn't put out many videos. So unfortunately I knew about dude, but there was so much more to the scene and I wanted to know what would happen when super buff Ryan Reynolds came after Ryan Reynolds. But if you, if I didn't know better, 
I would actually assume Disney had more of a hand in the screenplay than they actually did. Because you watch the movie, you can actually see the parts that came to fruition after Disney acquired Fox. You can you know, literally hear it and see it. <laughs> it was It's very in plain sight. But there were a couple things that I associate with modern Disney properties that happened in this movie. For starters, the fake-out love interest, where somebody falls in love with sort of this romanticized person. Like, like you know, Frozen, when she falls in love with this, this funky prince who looks great on the outside. But there's actually someone else she's supposed to end up with. Like in this movie with Jodie Comer and Ryan Reynolds. And... The other one was defeating a villain, not by beating them to death. That is something I'm noticing popping up in Disney properties more. There was plenty of acclaim given when Vision had a scene like this in WandaVision. I think that's something modern screenwriting is being added to the formula, is can we beat the big bad without beating him up? And just watching Dude respond to having the, the sunglasses put on his face... That release of tension worked out so nicely, I laughed my ass off. I also laughed my ass off, but I was laughing and just, I think I was having my most like, yo, this movie's awesome moments during that entire sequence. Because, you know, guy is getting his ass handed to him. Dude is kicking this dude's ass. And, you know, he's getting his ass kicked and he's like, he needs to like, he puts his, he gets his sunglasses on and he needs to like pick a weapon to defend himself with or whatever. And he picks shield. And I just go, oh, S.H.I.E.L.D., that's cool. And then you hear, and I'm like, why does that sound effect sound familiar? Then you start hearing the notes of the Avengers theme pan around. He has the goddamn Captain America shield. And I was like, yo, this is awesome. And then it cuts to like some audience reaction shots. And this was like the best cameo in the movie. This is the best fucking cameo in the movie. When all the critics started talking about there's this cameo that was so amazing, you wouldn't believe it. I started thinking like I had spoiled it for myself or I was, I was starting to think the, the unbelievable cameo was Channing Tatum. I was starting to believe that. And then after that Avengers shield moment happens, we cut to this shot of Chris Evans watching something on his phone. And he says, what the shit? And I lost it. <laughs> I lost my goddamn shit. It was fucking incredible. And then just a few seconds later, you know what he fucking does? You know what he fucking do fucking does? He pulls out a lightsaber. I start hearing the Star Wars theme. And I'm like, yes, yes, thank you, Disney. Thank you for this, Disney. And then, and then, and then they did something for the gamers. Did you notice this? The, the, the Mega Buster from Mega Man. That was at the beginning, but in the third act, right after he uses the lightsaber, he uses the gravity gun from Half-Life. Two valve, different valve guns. The gravity gun and the portal gun. Yeah. It actually made it feel authentic to gaming culture in a lot of weird ways that Ready Player One wasn't really. Ready Player One felt authentic to a culture that is so hopped up on the past, for whatever that means. So I guess it was really authentic to now. But <coughs> Free Guy seemed actually authentic to gamer culture, which is, you know, we like doing our own thing, but also throwing in some stuff we like, like Captain America's shield and the lightsaber. If I could use Cap, shield, and a lightsaber at the same time, I fucking would, dude. I fucking would. <laughs> There, there was, that is, it really makes me think the screenwriter knows what video games are, because another thing you see in movies about video games where someone's inside a video game is, there's a magic item that does something they never have in a video game. Oh, wow, what's in that room? 
That's the funky golden rabbit. What does the funky golden rabbit do? Oh, well, it lets you open any door and you could speak Spanish. Wow, that's so <laughs> convenient. I love this game. And and then in this movie, it's like, no, he has shoes that give him like a moon jump. He has weapons. He has equipped weapons and and gear. You know, it's like right. It's actually like a video game. It feels authentic to video games in a way that like stuff like Ready Player One wasn't. Ready Player One was like all of their MacGuffins were just movie references. Well, this one it was some gaming references, but just generally authentic. Free City feels like a video game I could play, and probably not get into because I couldn't really get into GTA Online. But Free City feels like a real video game in the way that the Oasis or whatever in Ready Player One doesn't. And I get that Oasis is this far off virtual reality thing that maybe I can't comprehend yet. But uh God. God. This is a it's a good thing this is an unedited just bonus cast because like I feel like there's so much more I could say. <laughs> I, I um I got I got quiet hours coming up in about two minutes, so we can push this a, we can push this a little further if you want. But if I talk too much into the ten o'clock hour, I'm about to get my ass beat. The, the FBI is gonna raid you. Yeah, I guess at that point, is there any? I think we've hit all the major stuff that what we loved about this movie. Channing Tatum, speaking of cameos, was given the gift that we haven't seen Channing Tatum get to do on screen for a second. He got to do the magic mic dancing. He got to do the thing Channing Tatum so steps up to do. Dancing. <laughs> Channing Tatum loves to dance, and I love that cameo sequence. I mentioned it a few times earlier, but I loved it. All the cameos in this movie are great, including Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Forgot to mention that. Saw his name in the credits. Freaked out. Who was he again? He's the guy. So remember when Guy takes the sunglasses away for the first time? Oh, yes. That character's voiced by The Rock. He's the guy that uh, guy makes very sleepy. Yeah. <laughs> oh God, that this movie's so funny. It's so full of heart, and it was genuinely emotional. I went into Free Guy expecting a good time, and I got so so much more out of it than I ever would have dreamed of. I loved, 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 loved this movie. Truly. I mean, do you have any anything else you want to say about it, man? As someone who was a gamer uh, by name until about 2014, um, this this is the kind of thing that I always sort of hoped someone would make or hope to make later. It's a movie that sort of celebrates video games in a more intellectual way, but it also makes people happy when they watch it. Because so much of gaming is this, like, crazy, toxic, complicated conversation about just, like, really angry men who like to hide inside and you do escapism to a point where it shifts them into something weird. But this right. movie is about someone coming alive in Fortnite and a couple of coders doing something about it. I think it's, I think it's just perfect. The way that they dealt with the sort of my world isn't real scenario, the, the, the it, all the mechanics of free city. It was, it was actually just a blast if this starts off a modern genre of video game movies that aren't goddamn stupid, I welcome it with open arms. And who better to do it than one of the funniest men alive? God bless you, Ryan Reynolds. God bless you, Sean Levy. Thank you for making this movie. We loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it. This movie rules. Uh, yeah. I'm almost happy it took time away from him being Deadpool. <laughs> 
Dead, Deadpool's great, but this was this was something a little bit more elevated than Deadpool to me. Well, you might be interested to hear this. Sean Levy was asked if he was going to be the director of Deadpool 3, which will be an MCU movie, by the way. That, that'll be interesting. But Sean Levy was asked if he'd be the director of Deadpool 3, and he basically said something along the lines of no comment, which may be an answer in of itself. <laughs> oh, oh, certainly. Uh, no, I'm, I'm not even kidding. He said that may be an answer in of itself. That's not me commentarying oh. on it. That was part of his answer. <laughs> I, I was certainly mistaken. <laughs> good, good news. Good news on the Sean Levy front, in case you don't want to wait for Deadpool 3 in six years. Um, yeah. Him and Ryan Reynolds, those two cheeky uh, Canadians, they're making a Netflix movie called The Atom Project. It's supposed Yo. to come out, I think, next year. I'm into Well, I'm glad to see them team up again. I'm excited to see that. Netflix, please just keep on consolidating massive amounts of debt. So you can keep giving us movies like The Irishman and this, I guess. Uh, what, if cool. they, uh, what if they become a Scorsese De Niro thing and they just work together for the rest of their lives? You know what? I'd be okay with it. That's that's what I want to see. We need more Scorsese De Niro appearings for like blockbuster cinema. And less the, 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 the movie cinema, you know? So this movie's great. I love this movie. It's my number two in the year. I suspect it'll probably stay in my top five before the year's out. Because uh, I really, really love this movie in ways I didn't expect. It was beautiful. It was funny. It was emotionally resonant. It was action-packed with some great action set pieces. I had a damn good blast with this one. And I really recommend you see it, too. Any uh, departing thoughts, Austin? Uh, this was really big, big in my mind. This was really big to me for personal reasons it got i think 28 million 28 million opening weekend in the box office so there's a there's a chance that they could do the thing where they make some money off of this and it inspires similar movies in the future which i really hope for uh see this in imax it's it's just fantastic the sound is so loud and all over the place and very creatively done i i really recommend this one for just about anything, go with your parents, go on a date, it's going to work. Bring your little brother, he's gonna love it. I'm just happy how accessible this movie is, and how how high it's trying to punch. This is the kind of movie I love when they happen, because when there's a smart blockbuster out there, it sort of elevates the intelligence of the general populace a little bit. And, God, I'm so happy it came out. Thank you for talking about this with me. Yeah, I'm so glad we did this, and we're definitely going to do more stuff like this because there's a lot of new movies coming out that we want to talk about that, like, we, we, we already made the schedule. It's, like, set out through the first week of February because I'm a crazy person. So, anyway, thank you for listening to the podcast. I'd say watching. It's going to go on YouTube, but I'm not really going to do anything with it beyond putting it in a visualizer. But thank you for listening. If you are listening on a podcast platform, Please leave a review. It helps boost us in the algorithm and more people can see it. Uh, so go do that. Uh, if you're listening from the Loki podcast, which for some reason have five times as many listens as everything else we've done, hello, stay. Um, <laughs> if you are on YouTube, uh, go ahead and leave a comment down below. Tell us what you thought of Free Guy. Are we a bunch of maniacs for ascribing more depth to it than it maybe deserves? Or do you see what we see in it too? Comment below and let us know. And while you're down there, Hit the like button, 
Let us know how much you like us. Hit the subscribe button so we know how much you love us. Hit the bell icon so you can know exactly when we upload new videos. Thank you oh so very much for watching, guys. And uh, I will see you next time. Farewell, friends.